Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. And alongside me, very two special guests. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I have both the screenwriters of Summer of 84, Stephen J. Smith and Matt Leslie. How are you both doing, Yo, gentlemen? We're good. We're good. We're doing <laughs> Yeah, good considering the circumstances, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, seriously, seriously. I mean, hey, we're, we're doing this all in the midst of COVID-19, everybody, so shelter in place and staying safe. Um, but no, I appreciate both of you guys honestly coming and speaking with me. This is honestly, this is kind of a dream come true for me personally, but this is this is awesome. Thank you guys so much for doing this. No problem. Thanks oh, for having dude, us. That, yeah, very no. cool of you to say that, man. Yeah. Um, you know, what better no time than when we're living... What's that? So no pressure, Matt. It's a dream come true. We got to yeah, live exactly. up to this. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no pressure at all. No pressure at all. I'm going to go ahead and finish up this intro, and then we'll go ahead and jump in straight to some questions. We are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film and break down and discuss the ultimate question, why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife, and that's night with a K. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show as early as Monday. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now, back to my guest. Wow. First and foremost, uh, Summer of 84, phenomenal. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I, I, it, it, it's crazy um because we're actually kind of doing this as a as a sidestep um and i guess this is mainly for my listeners right now but we're doing this as a sidestep guys where it's a companion to summer of 84 the episode so these episodes are released simultaneously so make sure to check your podcast app again to go ahead and listen to our episode of re- of initially breaking down summer of 84 by all means um but a few questions that I do have for you guys, and um, I guess I'll make this easier for you guys so you guys don't have to talk over each other, um, but uh, I guess I'll call on your guys' name to initially, I guess, go and answer. Cool. But um, I'll, start, I'll start with you, Steve. Um, what initially sparked your interest in horror to begin with? Oh, man. Um, you know, it's funny. Like, I was one of those kids that, like, I wasn't allowed to watch horror when I was you know, all the way up until I think I was 13 or 14, you know, like, and then yeah. it was like the damn burst. Like when I saw, I think I saw Scream <laughs> was my first like horror movie oh. in the theater, which is funny. Cause you know, it's like sort of like, uh, you know, making fun of horror a little bit, but also a really great horror movie itself, yeah. you know? And, uh, yeah, I saw that and I was just hooked from then on. And then I've just started, you know, watching horror all the time and kind of like watching, contemporary horror around that time and then sort of like slowly going back in time and watching all the classics and then coming back and yeah um yeah i mean just been a fan ever since you know novels movies all of it so yeah i love it i love it oh that's awesome uh same goes for you matt what what about you yeah it was kind of a similar story like i wasn't really allowed to watch horror but i um my bedroom was down the hallway from the living room and there was this long hallway and i would sneak Mm -hmm. up the hallway and watch over my parents' shoulders if they were watching a good scary movie. And I remember watching um, <laughs> American Werewolf in London, and that movie scared oh. the hell out of me. And I must have been like six or seven, <laughs> and I had nightmares about werewolves yeah. forever after that. So, um, and then I oh, did the shit. same thing for Silence of the Lambs. I watched that when I wasn't supposed to, same way, and that scared the hell out of me too. <laughs> so, I've just I've always loved horror movies. It's just. Uh, they just make you, I mean, they kind of just, it's like going on a roller coaster. Like it's, it's, 
It's yeah. fun, scary, you know, like you're not going to actually die, but you get to experience some of those feelings, which is kind of cool. Absolutely. And I, I, I've kind of have a similar story as well, where I too wasn't, wasn't allowed to watch horror. And, um, I was lucky enough to have a big brother who tried to scare the shit out of me. And it, and <laughs> it got to the point where it's like, okay, dude, I'm just going to watch these movies ahead of time. And I'm going to know where all the jump scares are and all this other stuff. And I'm going to get him instead. Mm-hmm. And my brother's seven years older than me. So it, it was just, it was, I was like, okay, this is probably not going to be a foolproof plan, but we'll figure it out. Um, and then I want to say it was 2004 and the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out. Oh, nice. And I was like, holy shit, let's do this. Nice. And when the, the scene of, of that, that girl sticking the, the gun in her mouth and just blowing her head off. I was like, oh, my gosh. oh yeah, that's going to get him. That's going <laughs> to strike a chord. <laughs> that's definitely going to get him. And I was definitely way too young to watch that. I was maybe, God, ugh, I was like maybe 13, maybe 12 or something like that. And it was as it was God awfully young for this movie. And I remember Toby Hooper's version. And I remember Toby Hooper's version was like, it's like, man, I don't remember this being so gory. And it wasn't until fairly recently, maybe a year or so ago, uh, when I rewatched it, and I was like, "Yeah, Toby Hooper's version isn't that gory at all." Like is, yeah. this, I don't, I forgot who even made the remake, but uh, the, the remake is just wow. They really upped the ante when it came to the gore in the remake. Just nail splitting and uh, the fucking chain scene. Jesus oh Christ, gosh. when he has to put it on the hook. Oh my god. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's 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 crazy because it, it's funny how horror films in a way kind of brings a lot of us together yeah and totally it's it's such an interesting feeling um but i also want to ask you guys a a harder question um since horror kind of came into your guys's life fairly young uh what would you consider to be your favorite horror movie or horror movies if this question is too hard you could just go sub-genre as well for the genre films (laughs) i mean i i have it i have a pretty (laughs) i have an answer steve do you oh uh, you go for it. I'm still, I'm still noodling. So I, I think, I think the movie that I find most inspirational and the movie that I find, uh, I'm drawn back to over and over again, and this isn't some unique answer, but it's the shining. I just, I love it. Oh, wow. I just, I watch it all the time, but there are a couple other ones. I watch uh, a movie called the house of the devil a ton. It's a Ty West movie. Oh, from 2009. Ty West. Love it. Um, oh man! You know there are definitely others. The thing, I mean, there's there's so many there's so many good horror movies, but those I think The Omen, The Exorcist, I watch those a ton too. Um, but I think The Shining probably. Steve, what do you got? Yeah, I mean The Shining's great. That's, That's definitely my top three. I think I think my top yeah. would probably be The Exorcist, like the one that I just go back to all the time. Ooh. And if I'm just in the mood for horror, I'll just pop that in. I'm a big sucker for like the you know, the religious themed kind of horror. And that one just, you know, just blows your mind every time you watch it with that, you know, just so scary top to bottom. So well done. Yeah. Just total classic. Yeah. Oh man. Did you guys watch the, um, cursed films at all on shutter? No, not yet. Uh, No, nope. Yeah. uh, it it, It was, it is. is I, I like it. I know a lot of people who don't like it to be honest. Um, mainly because it, the name of the of the show kind of detours you a little bit. You expect mm-hmm. to hear about more curse shit, but in, in reality, it's it's kind of like um, them just kind of going over the history of all the messed up things that happen on set. Um, but oh, yeah, there are yeah. heartbreaking episodes. Like God, they got 
uh, of course, Brandon Lee uh, for The Crow and um, sure. Poltergeist and uh, even the Twilight Zone movie of, of the horrific accident with the helicopter. Oh, and, that's right. All of that. Yeah. Uh, so all of that is in there. And it was it was pretty, pretty rough to watch those few episodes. But uh, seeing them talk about The Exorcist and how Linda Blair got her her. Uh, like spine slightly broken from one of the contraptions yeah. breaking or something like that, and mm-hmm. he kept and William Friedkin kept it in the movie, and I was like, oh, wow, wow, I didn't <laughs> know that. Wild, yeah, he's notorious <laughs> wow. for that, putting his actors through you know the real stuff to get that real reaction. Doesn't yeah. tell them they're gonna do it, and then it's on film. That's why it's so impactful. But man, like what a cost, seriously. You know? That's yeah, crazy. yeah, seriously, and and uh, him actually having a, an actual killer on set. Um, yeah, that was that was also super fascinating. Who I mean, and I mean, I'm not going to defend the guy, but it, it, that guy was technically a, a medical student, and he wanted real medical professionals in his movie. So uh, the whole medical scene was all by actual doctors in The Exorcist, and I thought that was awesome. Like, man, it, it's absolutely incredible. Oh, you can't hear me. I think uh, I think Matt lost our audio. Um. Steve, are you texting him? Can you hear me, Steve? Oh, I don't Steve, know if you, you guys hear can hear me. Oh, I can hear you, Matt. Yep. Uh, can you guys hear me at all? Uh, I think we might oh, have I think lost, we lost audio. audio with Prince. Yeah. Let me see. Let me try to get audio back. Can you guys hear me now? Yeah, there you are. There we go. Yep. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Yeah, I had to unmute and mute. It was it was weird. Oh, weird. <laughs> uh, yeah. Are we weird. cool to just um, keep going? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries. This shit happens. That's that's the internet and that's podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's it's just absolutely bananas on all of the things that he's done in in that movie, and it's absolutely incredible. But wait, so what's your favorite back, movie? Yeah. Um, Favorite horror. Oh, man. She just chuck it right back at me. So uh, <laughs> I'm actually – it's very strange when it comes to uh, my, my, I guess, genre of horror. I, I'm a huge fan of um, paranormal and also um, a huge fan of kind of like borderline slasher paranormal mm-hmm. stuff. Like like the House of the Devil is right up my alley mm-hmm. okay. um, just because it – kind of plays like both films it just plays like a slasher and it also plays like a paranormal film and mm-hmm. i absolutely love the house of the devil um and we actually compared um pieces of the house of the devil to summer of 84 um a similar similar structure yeah yeah definitely and i absolutely loved um love things like um dr sleep for example mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i I have a few friends who haven't seen The Shining yet, and they always ask me, should they watch The Shining first? And I'm like, technically, yeah, but uh, Dr. Sleep just does so well as a standalone film. But um, with things like that, like I, I really am a huge fan of, I guess, um, man, I'm trying to think. Like, I like slow burn flicks. I guess. Uh, so I'm a huge fan of like Hereditary and um, uh, Midsummer is also a really fun one as well. I'm, I guess I'm a fan of Ari Aster. Um, and 
I really, really like um, also just crazy fast horror movies like, uh, uh, gosh, who's that dude with the long hair? He's super wild. He makes some pretty, pretty interesting movies. Uh, shit. Joe something. Joe Bago or something? Joe. Yes. Yeah, the guy Joe who made Bagos. VFW. Yes. Dude. His his movies are like drugs. It's crazy. <laughs> like, yeah, Bliss was kind of wild. Yeah, Bliss is insane. And I I was such a huge fan of both of those where I totally thought I wasn't going to like them. And like it's just it's just beat for beat for beat. And I was like, man, this dude is fuck. Like how how much drugs was he taking to make this? Like, it's, it's absolutely insane. But yeah, it's it's. Stuff like that. So I guess I guess that is my go-to type of genre films. But I'm also a huge fan of Giallo, so I love our tour films as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my my favorite Giallo film would be uh, definitely Tenebra or maybe Opera. Maybe Opera. Probably Opera. Okay. Yeah, Opera's rad. But, Steve, yeah. do you have a favorite Giallo film? Uh, I can't say I do. No. <laughs> <laughs> by, the way, by the way, I'm just busting Steve's balls because, like, I don't think I've seen a Giallo movie. I, I really, like, I haven't seen, a, like, a lot of those kind of classic, like, yeah. um, I guess sort of, like, uh, less than less mainstream horror, you know, sure, sort of like the, sure. the deep mm-hmm. cuts. I haven't seen a lot of that stuff. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that, it, and honestly, that's completely fair. I don't know too many people who honestly have um i know maybe two um i'm, I'm not too sure if you're uh familiar with um like megan navarro over at uh bloody disgusting um but she's like the only person i know who truly like absolutely enjoys giallo films to its uh-huh. core <laughs> um so it's it's I don't know too many people who like them either because they don't really make sense. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's not really it's a, like story a fever to dream them. or something. Yeah, yeah. Like especially opera. Opera is a weird movie and it definitely does not make sense at all. And it's just huh. it's like there's scenes where crows save her. It, it's it's weird. It, it's a very interesting movie, but that happens sometimes though. <laughs> That is true, <laughs> but like, but like, I haven't even seen like Lucio Fulci movies and stuff. Like, I that's oh, what I really? mean. Like those, like that sort of subgenre of horror from back in the day. Like, I I need to school myself at some point, but I haven't done, sure. it, yet. I haven't done it yet. Yeah, I, I yep. feel like both of you guys actually honestly have a good time and probably get some really fun inspiration from some of those for sure. Nice. Um, yeah, let's check them. Yeah, um, but. Moving on a little bit to a little bit more about Summer of 84, because uh, I know what this film came out in what, 2018. Yep. I want to say it came out in Sundance around January-ish uh, and then yep. uh, officially had a release in August of 2018. Um, and tell me tell me about like what inspired both of you guys to write this particular movie. Matt, you can jump. The idea came from <laughs> Matt, so he can start. Well... <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it really did come from both of us, but I think the first kernel of it was me hitting him and being like, dude, you know what we haven't seen? Because this is 2014, so Stranger Things wasn't a yeah. thing. And we were like, I was like, dude, right. no one's done like a throwback. Because I had just watched, I, I had fallen in love with The House of the Devil. And I loved how they shot that so it looked like you just found a VHS tape that no, from, a, from a movie that nobody had ever seen. You know, I think they shot that, they, they actually shot, I think Ty West shot that on film. And, and it looks like you just found some VHS tape. And I was thinking about that. And I was like, what if we did something that's like the Goonies meets like 
rear window meets Disturbia meets Fright Night shit, where it's like a group of kids yeah. and and their their neighbor's a serial killer. And then we <laughs> kind of started building from there. And honestly, I think I think it's um those movies I just named are some of my favorite movies, as is like the Burbs. I think I probably watched the Burbs and oh, the Goonies yeah. more than any other movies ever. Just <laughs> I just whenever I'm bored or whatever, I'll just put them in. And um I think it's because and Steve had something similar to this. It's like we both lived in suburbia and had mm-hmm. people who lived near us that we were like, you know, how come I've never seen the person who lives in that house? Like I've lived on the street my whole life. I have no idea who lives there. And that house is four houses yeah. down from me. Or like, I remember there was another one where I would see this dude. He'd be like, he'd always be just doing weird stuff. And I'd be like, that guy's killing people. And it's not like, we always were just like the, <laughs> the mystery of sort of like what's going on behind closed doors in suburbia, you know? And yeah. um, Steve, it was similar for you, right? Yeah, for sure. I, we actually had like a particular house, like at the end of the block I lived on. And it was like, you never saw anybody come out. And like, it wasn't like very well kept. It just kind of seemed like it was abandoned. And then I actually had like in the uh, the new It Chapter One, um, there's that moment where the kid's outside the the, the well house and, he's, and the leper kind of comes yeah. down in his face, you know? <laughs> I had that moment with the resident of that house where like I stepped on their grass and this old lady was like out of nowhere was just like, get off my grass. Like just like that, like a jump scare oh, was crazy. Shit. You know? Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, Jesus. Wow. Like that, I don't that, even think that's I incredible. That story. That... <laughs> no, I don't know. That's... I told you that one bit. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> that oh, was the house. Man, that's incredible. Um, I, uh, can you guys hear me? I think uh oh did I lose my audio again? Let me see if there I you can go. get I'm back. Yep. Yep, All you're right. back. Cool, cool, cool. Don't know why that keeps happening. Um uh, maybe I am gonna switch my mic to a default device and hopefully that helps it out. Uh can you guys still hear me okay? Yeah, man. Yep. Yep, we're good. Perfect. Um so that kinda takes me to initially I guess how this movie feels when I watch it. Because uh, it feels like it plays like a book. And it, it it's one of those things that we meet this these group of kids. And I was telling uh, my, my um, co-host, David, last night, where initially I was telling him that this movie does such a good job at giving you another piece of someone else's story just with a little few uh, minor things of maybe there's like a side conversation going on in the background or something like that. And um, I want to say it was maybe Eats who was leaving his house and his parents were fighting or something like that. And Mm -hmm. uh, you just um, automatically just felt complete heartbreak for Eats. And you knew his whole story just from that one moment. And I found that to be very clever. And I thought that was really interesting that you guys kind of added something like that inside this particular movie of because uh, you guys definitely didn't have to. The movie was already really fun, but it, it just it really, I guess, hammered it home. And cool. um, I was wondering, too, what and I know you, you, you named off a few of your influences, Matt, but uh, what else influenced you got this uh, movie particularly for you guys? Because I, 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 my colleague was um, thinking that uh, Stranger Things had a lot to do with it. And um, I told him that I was like, I, I think this movie probably took a lot longer to make than Stranger Things did. And I think mm-hmm. it like probably started before that. Um, 
Yeah. And yep. he he definitely got the vibes from it and like with with the music and so on and so forth. And I was like, oh, this music's kind of better than Stranger Things, but I'm, all right, I'm not gonna tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but um Lamato, see you listening. <laughs> Lamato, yeah, they have a new album out right now. New album out, yeah, I think they it do. just, it just came out, out with one. Oh shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, really? I mean Stranger Things, honestly, when Stranger Things came out, it it, it took this it took the wind out of our sails for our project because we were already shopping our project and then all of a sudden the the oh, trailer right. for that dropped and we were like oh fuck because we were you know <laughs> we were we, we had a lot of interest from the project and then that came out and a yeah. lot of the people who were interested kind of fell off because they were like well they're mm-hmm. already doing it um now granted we we always were trying to do the real life grounded scary version of stranger right. things you know um but it's interesting because like you were saying um you know, we've got these these sort of like little mini subplots where you see behind closed doors for each of our characters. And ultimately, that was just in keeping mm-hmm. with the theme, right? The theme really was sort of like, or one of the themes is you never really know the truth about somebody, right? Like what's what's their real life? Right. What's really going on in their world, you know? Um, and so we kind of wanted to explore that a little. The funny thing is a lot of reviews actually kind of knocked us for doing that because they were like, they'd be like, well, we, we would just get a little bit of glimpse into these people's lives and then it would go nowhere. And we were like, but that was kind oh. of the point. We wanted to show people like, you know, Eats has, you know, a, a shitty stepdad and a mom who's in, and they're sort of being abused and he's got an older brother who's not really, you know, in his, you know, not a positive role model in his life. And they have a, a conflicted relationship. Yeah. And then Woody uh, is sort of living with his mom, who's a workaholic nurse just to keep head above water and their bills are piling up and um and you know and we actually used to have a scene with faraday where you got to see that his parents were like really strict and um you know with his with his schooling and education and stuff and so they're like cracking the whip with Mm -hmm. him and so he's always just like oh i gotta do my work and um you know that ended up getting cut when we were trying to trim the the script down but we really wanted to show behind closed doors because it's like you know i think i think in fact like speaking on a broader in a broader way i think it's like if we could all understand what everyone was going through behind, you know, in their actual life behind closed doors, we'd have more understanding and empathy for everybody mm-hmm. in, the, in the world. You know, when you when you meet somebody who's a, like suddenly a dick to you at the store, it's like, well, yeah, maybe they just went through something horrible or um, and we just found that interesting because the suburbs is like, you know, everything seems like nice and clean and green and everything's all, you know, but really it's people are just as fucked yeah. up there as they are everywhere else, you know. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. yeah. No. And I, I even, I even like that line where it's just like, uh, and I, I think Davey says it in the beginning and at the end where he initially is saying that like, uh, the suburbs are one of the most craziest places that you can be in a way. And yeah. I, I actually mm-hmm. really, really like that line. And it, it's funny because I'm, for me, I, I personally can't relate mainly because of the fact that I didn't grow up in the suburbs. I actually grew up in, in a neighborhood called uh, Bayview Hunters Point in San Francisco, uh, which I will admit is a bit of a, a rough neighborhood. Um, but growing up uh, there, it I would love to watch movies like The Burbs and things like that because that would make me feel like my situation felt like – Oh man, it's fucked up everywhere. Like this is fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like it's it's just this is like I could do it here too. Like this is fine. Like it's I, true. I, life still is going yep. to go on, and and that's why I enjoyed those movies, and that's why I really like seeing that from like Davy's perspective, and and so on and so forth. Um, that's cool, um, man. My yeah, my, fa- yeah, thank my, you. Fa- my favorite line from the movie is one Steve wrote. Um, it's when Davy's you know having dinner with his with his mom and dad, and they're kind of gossiping about. Uh, 
the next door neighbor Nikki's parents and how they're getting, yeah. they're getting a divorce or whatever. And she's like, I didn't know that. How, how did you know that? And he's like, well, that's why they invented curtains, hon. Like, you know, it's just, <laughs> I just, I just get such a kick out of that line. I love that line so much. Um, so tell me guys about the love interest uh, with Nikki. It, 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 that was such a fun teenage thing and that was one thing that we kept joking about last night in the podcast where uh we kept saying you're like man these boys are horny like (laughs) and it's 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 funny because it's just like us thinking back as like teenage boys and things like that and we always had the girl next door or something like that like it was it was always someone in the neighborhood or something and with that uh, particular love interest like one thing that we were trying to uh, I guess figure out was did she actually have a crush on Davey or did she just was just like, well, I'm, I'm in a spot where my parents are getting a divorce and I do feel vulnerable and, and so on and so forth. And, and that was something we were trying to break down last night, but uh, it was uh, something that actually my colleague David wanted me to ask you guys um, was specifically that question. So, so how did, how did that go? How did that love interest go? Yeah, so the uh, like our intention with the Nikki Davy thing, it's interesting because like we've had a, a whole spectrum of reactions to that relationship, and like, are they supposed <laughs> to be romantic? Aren't they? It's kind of gross that she's old, you know, like all that kind of stuff. So. <laughs> Really, our intention was just like you said, like, I think everybody, you know, most guys can relate to growing up. And there was that girl that lived in your neighborhood that you had your first crush on and that kind of thing. And yeah. um, the movie's through Davy's perspective. And so he has this this babysitter that, you know, he thought he was close to and they had a good time together when he was younger. But like, you know, totally innocent, that kind of thing. And now they're teenagers. The hormones are raging. And so he's looking at her in a whole new light. And it's like you said, like she's in a vulnerable place in her life and her her parents are getting divorced. And the way that we thought of their relationship is that it's basically one sided from Davey the whole time. And for her, she learns early in the movie that, you know, he and his buddies kind of spy on her and they've got crushes on her and that kind of thing. And so early in the movie, she's kind of messing with him when she comes over to his place and she's in the room and kind of like flirting with him, you know, and she's just having a good time. But then over the course of the movie, as things are getting more and more real for her and more dark with, you know, what's going on with her parents and that kind of thing, like she just really needs that, you know, somebody to confide in, you know, and he Mm -hmm. is the perfect person to do that. You know, they have the history together. He's got this crush on her. And so we liked that it kind of like starts off as this, you know not stereotypical, but just kind of like, you know, that you're a familiar kind of girl next door relationship with him having a crush. And then we could kind of broaden it out from there. And it's not just that, like they end up just sort of like kind of needing each other and needing to confide in each other. He's telling her all his secrets. She's telling him her secrets. And, you know, so we just liked that dynamic between them. And so it was never really meant to be like a, like they're going to hook up or anything. It was just kind of, you know, we wanted to do something a little more real with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We, we actually had a scene that got cut um, where early on in the bo- the bowling alley scene, um, basically Davy goes to the bathroom, and as he's coming out, she kind of corners him, and she's like, "What's up? I know you're spying on me, you little perv. Like, you know what? The, what the <laughs> fuck is up with that? Like, stop! It's creepy." And she's like, "Why yeah. are you doing it?" And he's just like, "You know, he kind of has this moment of like, oh my god, I can't believe this is actually happening. She knows I'm. Oh my god, I'm fucked and whatever.' And he's just like, yeah. "It's just because you're you're." you're perfect and like it softens her and i think in that moment she realizes like you know she's kind of a god to him and i think she needs to feel some kind of like 
you know, she, she likes how that feels, considering that right. the rest of her world is kind of crumbling, like Steve said. So, um, yeah, like he said, it was never supposed to be like an actual romantic relationship as much as Davey would have loved that. Um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was it was something that we kept going back to. And I've, I've loved their relationship inside of this film, mainly because of the fact that it is kind of this uh, cute little back and forth that they do have with each other where she comes over, she's throwing the rocks at his at, at, at his uh, window and having him come downstairs and they're hanging out on the uh, by the lake and so on and so forth um, I just I thought it was just so very very well done and, and really really clever uh, another question I do have what, what made you guys want to film in um, in I guess the Pacific Northwest or, or was it filmed in the Pacific Northwest or, or? yeah yeah, it was oh, okay. filmed, it was filmed in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia. We, oh, we wrote it to be so the town that I'm from is Ipswich, Massachusetts, um, and it was oh. al- it was always supposed to be Ipswich, Massachusetts. But then we got a company called Bright Light Pictures on board. Um, they're a production services company in Vancouver, and um, and then the financier came on board, and they liked the idea of shooting it up there for tax credits and other you know the the. The fact that dollar is stronger when it's converted to Canadian dollars. Right. And so you're able to stretch a dollar a little bit further when it comes to production. And so we all decided to shoot it up there. So we just kind of created a fictitious town called Ipswich, Oregon, that's in the Pacific mm. Northwest. And we honestly loved it because, again, The Goonies is shot up there. Stand By Me is shot up there. Like there were so many great movies that are shot yeah. up there with that aesthetic, like in Oregon or Vancouver. So uh, it ended up working out great. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. Like it, it absolutely phenomenal with the, the whole setting and, and things like that. And I love I love that like Mackie kind of felt like Bigfoot to me, where I was just like, this this works great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So when I was discussing this movie with my friends, um, I always said that for some reason Randall. When I first watched this movie, I always thought Randall, uh, Davy's father, uh, was the killer. And I wanted him to be the killer so bad. And I wanted Davey to be wrong. And I don't know why my suspicion radar was on Randall so hardcore. I think it's just he just felt kind of like one of those um, floating by dads in my in my eyes. Um, but uh, was your plan always to have one person be the Cape May Slayer? Or uh, were you guys just thinking like oh he's gonna have an accomplice or or anything like that uh, what, what was your guys' thought process of, of having Mackie be the main Cape May Slayer completely working alone uh yeah I think we were I mean that was always our intention was just to have him doing it alone and one of the things that we really loved about the movie and the idea of writing the movie was you know that we would kind of like you know, we wouldn't stray from that. We would like, we didn't want to do like a whodunit kind of like, you know, 800 red oh, herrings sure. and who is it, you know, like yeah. we love this idea that it's, it's more like Davy keys into who it is really early on. And he has yeah. all these opportunities through the whole movie to like, let it go and just be a kid. And, you know, Nikki even tells him, just <laughs> let it go, be a kid, you know, and he just yeah. can't do it. And he's just driven by this curiosity. He just needs to know, needs to know. And then it goes super dark, you know? And um, <laughs> so we we never really had any red herrings in it. And uh, Rich Summer, who played Wayne Mackey, he actually said that that was one of the things that drew him to the project. And he loved about the script is that it never lies to you. And just right from the yeah. beginning, you're like, I think it's him. And then as you're reading the script, you're kind of like, nah, maybe it's not him. That seems like too easy. And then, no, <laughs> yeah. I think it is him. No, maybe it's not. And then when you find out, it's even worse than you thought with like with the end. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. Because yeah. oh 
even just the logic of it, like if it's not him, it's nobody. Because what are the odds that if it's not right. Mackie, it's someone else in the neighborhood that's that's this serial killer, you know? Um, but it is funny because we've had so many people say what you just said or like that they thought maybe it was Nikki or that they thought, you know, and um, it's just funny how pe- people's minds, when they're watching movies, it was really, it's kind of informative <laughs> for us as writers because it's like people are always trying to figure it out, you know? And I think right. that's kind of what mm-hmm. this thing had going for it is like, we weren't, you know, there was no, there was no twist. It's, it's really him, you know? And, um, and yeah. we kind of like, we kind of point a finger at it a little bit in that one shot. RKSS has this one great shot. They're the directors where you're just sort of slowly pushing it across the cul-de-sac, uh, towards yeah. Mackie while the kids are playing like baseball in the, in the street. And he's like, who wants a freezy pop? And like, he gives them yeah. all a freeze and we're just slowly pushing in Clint. So you get close on his face and you see his face and it's like, yeah, this guy's a fucking creep, man. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, so anyway, but yeah, it's, we kind of, we never really wanted to, to make it a whodunit. It was always just, is it him right. or is it him? Right. Yeah. And, and that, that actually makes a lot of sense because that particular scene, <clears throat> excuse me, I was, uh, when I was talking to David about it, initially that main scene, I told him is one of the creepiest things a part of this movie. And, you genuinely know at this point in time, you see a reflection of like all of the stories of serial killers that we've heard. Uh, like you see, you see hints of Bundy, you see hints mm-hmm. of uh, uh, the Grim Sleeper, you see hints of the Golden State Killer. You you saw that just in that one particular moment of him being the quote unquote nice guy and the town hero in in a way, um, especially more towards the end of, of framing someone else for his wrongdoings. Um, but. John Wayne Gacy, uh, by the way, was one of the one of the main ones because he was the guy who lived in suburbia in a neighborhood, dressed yeah. up like a clown, played with the kids in the neighborhood, and was murdering kids right. and burying them under his house. I mean, yeah, creepy, absolutely bananas. And 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 I I know that there's a, a particular scene in there that I was able to catch um, where he brings out the the uh, bug out of his out yeah. of the uh, yep. little garage. Mm-hmm. Is that a Ted Bundy reference? It was, yeah, yeah. We couldn't ah. get the same color, but it was that, yeah. That was that was the choice. Okay, yep. all right. I was I was wondering. I was just like I was like, I was thinking. I was like, I wonder if this is a Ted Bundy reference, but I can't put my finger on it. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> um, Another fun fact is that Steve grew up right down the street from, uh, well, not down the street, but near um, where Jeffrey Dahmer was doing Dahmer. all of his murdering in the nineties. Right, Steve? Like, yeah. how close were you? Shit. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I lived in Waukesha, Wisconsin, which is like 20 minutes away from Milwaukee, and he was doing a lot of it in Milwaukee. But um, when I was in college, one of my real close buddies lived down the street from the apartment where it all went down. And so, like, yeah, you know, we'd go oh, and check man. it out, and you'd be out drinking, and you'd be like, "Oh shit, there it is!" You know, like kind of like <laughs> reasons to go <laughs> so buy creepy. it. You know, yeah, yeah. So oh, creepy. I mean, dude, man. that that whole thing That's like nuts. colored my childhood from where I where where I lived in Massachusetts. I can't even imagine what it must have been like living twenty minutes away yeah. while it was going down. Yeah, mm. absolutely. It, it, I actually have a, a, a super interesting story similar to that. My mom, when she was uh, she was a, a young lady, she was maybe in her twenties, maybe yeah, maybe thirties. Or late 20s, actually. She was in her late 20s. But she was a part of um, the People's Temple. And oh, wow. um, she missed her flight to initially go to uh, Jonestown. 
Whoa. Uh, yeah. That's crazy. So what? I, I, if she would have made her flight, I wouldn't be here right now. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. That so is that's wild, dude. Right? It's did you did you like Ty West's movie The Sacrament? I, I did. I really like the sacrament. I, I know a lot of people didn't, but I thought it was actually so well done. And it's, maybe it's because of my slight connection with uh, Jim Jones, but I, I just thought it was just so well done. So, so well done. And another movie that reminds me very similar to the sacrament is the invitation. Uh, uh, invitation is so Karen good. Kusama. Corinne Kusama mm-hmm. the best. Yeah, yeah, she killed it. That's so, one, so yeah, good. one million so dollar good. movie. That one. Oh, really? I did not yeah. know that. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. I, I went to a, a Q&A opening movie. night for that one. I was I, I got tickets and I went and uh, she kind of talked about it. 21 day shoot, million dollar budget. Just yeah, <sighs> killed it. Yeah, it's a great Rocked movie. Rocked it. Wow. Yeah, and absolutely agree. That's that's fantastic. Um, but a lot of people are asking me because I, I submitted a few things on, on uh, Twitter. Uh, a lot of things. A lot of people are, have been asking me uh, initially, is summer of 84 actually based on true events? Um, they asked me personally, um, if if it was, and I was like, well, I didn't make it, so I don't know, but, um, I assumed that it wasn't, but it was inspired by many, uh, can you guys go a little bit deeper by that? Yep, absolutely. Is that, was, uh, it am was, I right? On, did I hit the nail right You are ahead? right. You are exactly <laughs> yeah. right. What you said, yeah, yeah. Not inspired by real event, but inspired by sort of like a handful of different people. Like Matt said, we were kind of like picking and choosing from different serial killers and, you know, giving little traits to Mackie and, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah you are absolutely right. Got it. Got it. Yeah, right, awesome. I mean, even all the way down to there was there was a serial killer. Um, this is before the Golden State killer was caught, but there was we found that there was a serial mm-hmm. killer in Florida who was a cop, and we were like, oh, that's kind of genius. Uh, so that's kind of where mm-hmm. that came from. Yeah. And then, of course, they busted the Golden State Killer, and it turned out he was a cop for at least a period of time. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Fuck. It's a wild life, or it's a wild world. Yeah. Humans yeah. are interesting. And it's so fascinating. And I was even talking to another buddy of mine who has another podcast called Spawn on Me. His name's Khalif Adams. And speaking to him when he came on this show... And I was interviewing him specifically of like, what is your considered your fuck that horror movie? Like, like what um, initially that that movie that you just won't touch. And he's like, oh, man, I'll touch anything. Like, it, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I love torture porn and, and all this and that. And usually a, a tough pill for other people to swallow. So I found that fascinating. And he said that it's so interesting that the human body is something that everyone kind of idolizes a little bit of until it's destroyed. And the way he said it just made me just start writing things down for uh, a potential future screenplay that I'm uh, currently just just blabbing off. And I'm very, very amateur. Like, I'm literally just like learning. But it's it was something that was so fascinating. And it, it kind of is true, I guess, where you, you do get things like Hostel or Green Inferno or uh, – I'm naming all Eli Eli Roth movies right now, Cabin Fever, and so on and so yeah. forth. But um, have you seen the movie Martin? Martin? Yeah. No, I haven't. I think it's a Romero movie, if I'm not mistaken, from like the '70s, and it's about a guy. It's like uh-huh. a very grounded vampire movie about a guy who has a thirst for blood, and he goes around killing people, and it's so gory. And I, I hadn't seen it ever until maybe six months ago and I finally watched it because it's got really good reviews. Like people love it, but it, yeah. it, it was actually hard to watch because there's so much like really violent gore, 
of a guy yeah. just like killing people and eating yeah. them and drinking their blood. It was really, I think it was Romero. Let me look. Oh, geez. That's, that's nuts. I, I know there's uh, one movie that we did finally have on my podcast. Cause we've been, we've been doing this since last October. And um, one movie that we finally got onto the podcast was uh, a movie that I was trying to sort of work my co-host up to because uh, I have a co-host named Freddie and David, and they are very new to me personally. They're new to horror in a way where they have their favorite films and so on and so forth, and they'll stick to their favorite genres. Um, and I wanted to heighten that up and expand them out a little bit more and uh last month was our found footage month so i dug pretty deep in my found footage knowledge base of um found footage horror and we had um of course wreck was was thrown in there um uh uh Naroi, the the curse uh the, that uh, paranormal film from uh, japan um, was thrown in there but i ended it with um <laughs> i ended it with the poughkeepsie tapes have you guys heard of that the Poughkeepsie tapes? No. Yeah, yeah. I heard of it. I haven't seen it, though. Yeah, so uh, the Poughkeepsie tapes is, is kind of like a mumble gory, uh, very, very dirty and, and really grungy type of mockumentary that is based on a serial killer who mm-hmm. initially films his killings. Um, it is an extremely hard movie to watch. Um, and. Uh, he poses as a cop, but it, it's it's such an interesting story. But it got to the point where uh, my co-host David wasn't able to watch it anymore, and he texted me. He was like, "I'm tapping out. I can't. I can't finish this movie." And I'm like, "Okay." And I told my other co-host Freddie, "I was like, you have to finish it now. Like, you have to. I'm so sorry, but now you have to. It's way too late for us to change the movie. We're recording literally tonight." <laughs> so he finished it, but it made him so sick that we couldn't record. So I was like, holy shit, what am I going to do? So I ended up getting the guy that I just told you about, Khalif Adams, who's really into torture porn and so on and so forth. I was like, he'll watch this. It's no way he won't. So I had him watch it and he actually guessed it on the show as well. And honestly, it was probably one of our longest episodes yet, but it was just so fascinating to I guess see people crumble from this movie, and I I've, have yet to see too many films. I guess uh, that has made myself tap out. But I guess for me, it's more like uh, not really. It's, it's it's definitely genre, but it's not really horror. It's kind of like one of those uh, I don't know a suburban film, uh, Solo and Devils and stuff like that. Um, those those films are a bit are a bit interesting to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Did you find it, Matt? Yeah, it was Romero. But I was trying to. There was another movie that someone just put on my radar like a week ago, and I'm blanking on the name of that too. But it was like it's about like a guy who just goes around killing people over the course of one day, and I think it's from the 70s, and it's a, apparently like really really graphic. And I'm blanking on the name. Oh, oh is it is it a uh, Man Bites Dog? It might be. That doesn't ring a okay. bell, though. I think it had like one one word name. But anyway, one word. Okay. All right. Well, Man Bites Dog is another one where it's like literally this guy who just goes on a spree for one day, and he has a film crew with him, and it's technically a dark comedy, but it's a really rough one. It's, he like kicks an old lady downstairs and like throws a little kid into a lake and has and drowns him. It, it's it's oh rough. God. It's super rough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So more people have been asking me, 
is uh, Summer of 84, do they initially, once again, they made this towards me, is Summer of 84 going to have a sequel? Um, I initially gave them the opinion of this movie is perfect without a sequel, mainly because oh, of the fact that it works. And I was, I just let them know it, it works so well with us also thinking, did Davey ever make it? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. Davey would be a, around the age of in his 30s now and so on and so forth. And it's just one of those things. Did Davey ever make it? <laughs> so I don't know. And I, I always tell people like this. Well, I guess he would be in his 40s because he, he was I guess he would have to be born in the 70s. But it, it was just one of those things where I was just like, no, man, like I, I think this movie works so beautifully without uh, a sequel. So, yeah. I'll let you guys take the floor and, and answer that question for me. <laughs> what do you think, Steve? Uh, okay, so we wrote it to be a standalone. We agree okay. that we wanted it to just be this haunting ending and just like, oh, my God, you know, and that would just keep you come back and watching <laughs> and people talking about it. Um, we have kicked around ideas of how we would sequelize it, but as sure. of right now, there's no plans to do that. So it's just kind of yeah. like for us, just speculation. And if someday somebody's interested in it, we're open to it. But at the moment, it's a standalone and we'll stay that way. Yeah. That's awesome. The thing, the thing about indie film is, I mean, we made this movie for $1.5 million and it didn't get mm-hmm. a wide theatrical release. And so the recouping of the fine of that money, the, the, the production budget is ongoing over the course of a couple of years and gunpowder and sky our financier will eventually recoup their money mm-hmm. and then some, but the indie business model is not like the kind of thing where it's like, you're going to get a lot of sequels, right? Because it's just, there's not a lot of money in it. And to do a mm-hmm. sequel, probably you'd have to have a bigger budget. So I think just financially, it's highly unlikely that there will ever be a sequel. Um, but we've right. talked about maybe doing a sequel as a graphic novel or as yep. a podcast or as a oh, whatever. Shit. And like, we're definitely down to explore the storyline because obviously we, we love, we've, it's, it's, it's fertile ground, you know, cause like you said, it's like, what happened to Davey? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's actually a pretty good title. What happened to Davey? And no, also, just so you know, awesome. uh, Caleb Emery, who played Woody in the movie, who's a good friend of ours mm-hmm. now, he pitches us every now and then ways that Woody can come back and like be in the sequel <laughs> yeah. in a big way. And, you know, so it's pretty funny to listen to him. Yeah, he, he, he wants, oh, he wants a prequel, a prequel where we end up finding out that Mackie is actually his father. Yep. Oh shit! <laughs> not that's not true. That's by the it, way, right? Yeah, yeah. He's like, that's why my mom's all upset because they got a divorce, and he lives right there down the street. It's it's amazing listening to him spin off on these ways yeah. he can do it. You know, that's hilarious. So great. Pitch oh one, pitch a version where he's a ghost comes back. I don't know. He's, <laughs> he's a funny. He's a funny that's dude. awesome. And. and I know uh, Woody was definitely one of my favorite characters, and I think he was probably beloved out of everyone I know, because um, everyone I know was heartbroken when Woody died. Yeah. And wait, Woody I died? Know... <laughs> <laughs> and no, I I, when we were going about it, and my uh, my friend David watched this with his girlfriend um, Bella, who typically doesn't watch horror films with him um, when he has to watch it for the show. But when he was watching this one, he told her, he's like, read the synopsis, see if you if you'll be into it or whatever. He was like, but don't tell me anything about it. I, I like to go on blind. And that's that's his thing where uh, I think there's only maybe three movies we've shown so far that he's actually seen previously. Mm-hmm. Other than that, all the other movies have all been new for him. Nice. So 
with Summer of 84 being a, a, another exception um, where I and they've heard me talk about this movie for at least two years because I, I used to work at the Apple store. And um, when I when I worked at the Apple store, that's that's where we all met and all that stuff. And every single time someone would bring up like summer horror flicks like, oh, what are you going to what are you guys going to uh, watch for uh, the summer? And they'll bring up things like Friday the 13th, um, uh, Sleepaway Camp will probably be thrown in there as well. Jaws. And I was like, have you guys seen Summer of 84 yet? And yeah. Like, no, 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 I haven't seen that. <laughs> and I'm like, it's like, dude. Get a shutter subscription. Watch Summer Eighty Four. <laughs> it's fucking wild, um, and it's it's funny because every single time someone comes up to me uh, with maybe Summer of Eighty Four or, or so on and so forth, they always say like, like, why couldn't Woody make it? I'm like, it's you know, it, it's it's because heartstrings. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. He was, he was actually the hardest role of the cast. We, we were having a really hard time finding our Woody. And it was like, we were looking all over the place and we ended up just finding him like scouring IMDB and finally yeah. found a, like, we got it. We like narrowed it down to like five dudes. And then we DM'd like on Instagram or emailed or their, their representation. And we, we, he was, Caleb was our favorite of them. And we reached out to his agent and didn't hear back. So I just DM'd him on the side on Instagram. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I was like, hey, I know this is kind of creepy, but I'm just like this dude who's <laughs> making a movie. Um, but anyway, yeah, he, he he's just like Caleb is just so like likable. Like you in real life, yeah. like, when you meet him, he, he really is a lot like the how Woody comes across. He's just likable, loyal. I mean, he really is all of those awesome. things, you know. So we had to kill him. I mean, that was just how yeah. it was going to be. You got to kill him. <laughs> you know? I love it. I love it. Yeah, it, it's it's great because uh, there's that line where they get caught when they're trying to put the uh, the walkie-talkie on top of the little uh, grater. Mm-hmm. And when they get caught, and it's like that kid, he was like, "Whatever, I fucking caught you guys." And and, yeah. <laughs> and he's, I love his reaction. We're just like, "I fucking hate that kid." <laughs> like, it's, it was so visceral, and I was just like, "I love Woody. Like, he's fantastic." And when I really think about it, and I know, uh, each story is is also really really uh, shitty as well with his shitty parents and so on and so forth. But I felt like the most heartbreaking story was Woody's story and Mm -hmm. mainly, especially if you watch it a second go around and seeing that second time and knowing like all this kid really wants to do is just take care of his mom and try to be a kid at the same time. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it it just makes that, that scene so much more intense and it's just, wow, absolutely incredible. Very, very well done guys. Cool. I'm glad it hit Um, you like that. That was the intention. Oh for yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It, it, it hit. It seemingly hit all my friends like that. So I mean, you guys, you guys definitely did your job. <laughs> Good job on that for sure. Uh, switching gears a little bit. Um, I know you guys have a few upcoming projects uh, down the pipeline, and if you're comfortable, and you guys definitely, obviously, don't have to talk about them if you're not comfortable talking about them right now at this point in time, but. Um, I know there's a, a film coming out. Um, I'm I'm not sure when. I know it's in pre-production now, but it's The Knocking. Uh, yep. And this is your guys' first directorial debut, correct? Right? Yep. Correct. Yep. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Is is there any information that you can give us about The Knocking? Uh, I don't think so right now. That That's completely fine. Yeah, I I think what we could say about it is it sort of revolves around like the idea of a Faustian bargain. Um, And and it's a 
I think the, the tonally it's sort of like a mystery romance horror. It's like, right, Steve? I think that's probably a pretty good way to summarize it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Mystery romance Mm. horror. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, That sounds awesome. That sounds super interesting. Yeah, you said you're going to... The story is sort of... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. No, you go. You go, dude. Oh, I was just gonna say, you know, Prince, you said like, you know, you, you're like the, uh, you know, the slow burn kind of thing, and like, you know, yeah. the big impactful, you know, ending. Like that's kind of, you know, we're going for that again. So you should be a fan based nice. on that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. I, I'm very, very excited. And we're building out um, a really cool cast that we're excited about right now. So we're we're in the yeah. casting process, awesome. and we've, we've already got our leads and a couple other uh, of the, the the bigger roles and. I'm honestly like blown away by how how awesome they are and how they're going to be. So yeah, we we could not be more excited to get the fuck out of quarantine and go shoot a movie. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah, I love it. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, seriously. Likewise, I, I'm super stoked for it. I just heard the name and I was like kind of formulating things in my head a little bit. Um, where a few of my friends and and uh, colleagues that I currently work with, they were uh, asking me a little bit more about like what what you guys do and so on and so forth because i'm not gonna lie i was fucking stoked to have you guys on but um uh and one of them looked looked up the knocking and they're like do do you know anything about the knocking i was like no maybe i've heard of i've heard that they were working on it um and what i kind of pictured it as in my head i was like it's like i'm picturing like like a horror film based off of like I don't know, like just door knocking and and not and you said salesman, right? And I I I pictured like um, Jehovah Witness <laughs> or something, and and like I I just I don't know, and I I just had that feeling in my in my gut where it was just like I, I'm sure it has something to do with something of a fascination of some kind of of something, but I'm, I'm yeah, very intrigued. The knocking is definitely a. Um an auditory motif that goes on throughout. Um, like it's the, the knocking sort of haunts our main character, uh, our main yeah. characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, uh, I, th- I think everyone's going to really dig it. I mean, it's very, it's a very, we're going for very grounded. Um, it's not, yeah. you know, not totally unlike hereditary where it's something that's of like course. supernatural and, 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 and terrifying, but also feels like it could really happen. Um, uh, and so, yeah, we, we're just we're just super stoked. I mean, we cannot wait to to get it made and show show the world the whole the movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I'm super duper stoked for you guys as well. And um, I know you did Sundance for Summer of '84, correct? Um, yeah. Yep. Are you guys planning on trying to do Sundance again for for the Knocking, or are you trying to go to Fantastic Fest or hit all the circuits? I mean, Sundance would be great. I mean, they're they're really good to uh, their alumni. We still have a good relationship with them. The producers of our movie have had movies at Sundance. Um, you know, it definitely feels like um, home in a way. But you know, you never know what timing is going to be. The the pandemic has made it so that like we were supposed to start shooting this April thirteenth. We were supposed to already be wrapped. Oh, wow. So you know, the plan was shoot the movie in April, get it done, finish post, and then apply for Sundance. But now, you know, I don't know when we're going to shoot it. It may, Maybe it's July, maybe it's August, maybe sure. it's September. But, you know, the further out we push, I mean, shooting in July, it's already hard to make the Sundance deadline. And we also right. don't even know what Sundance is going to look like this year. You know, there's probably not going to be a lot of films at it, you know, or any mm-hmm. of these festivals. So it's just it's a really weird time right now. So all that to right. say, like, the goal is definitely to get into one of the prestigious festivals, ideally Sundance. 
because um, we, we definitely want it to have that nice jumping off point um, before it kind of goes out to, to, to people. So, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. We'll, well hopefully, hopefully it all works out. Um, I, I know same thing for like green Knight and, and St. Maud and all, all of them for a 24. I know they had the same issues with, with uh, things like that. Cause green Knight was supposed to premiere at uh, South by and mm-hmm. bro. I can't uh, wait to see St. Maud. Oh man, you would be wait. both. You would be both. I had my press passes and and everything, and uh, I got got hit up by by a twenty four's PR, and there's like, yeah, Prince, we're gonna have to rain check you. I'm like, oh. Oh, man. <laughs> come on, I will go by myself. Like, <laughs> like, I do not care if it is empty. I need this movie in my veins. <laughs> I know, and now we don't uh, even know when the release date's gonna be, so it's like, uh nope. I gotta try to Antebellum, find a screener. Antlers and Saint Maud. Oh, I don't dude, know what's yeah. happening with any of those. Antebellum <laughs> looks so good. That's such a good trailer. Oh, God, man, it, it absolutely blows me away. Now, I know since this is your guys' uh, first time directing and, and so on and so forth, how does that particularly feel? And um, are you guys both writing the screenplay for the Knocking as well, or just one of you guys taking the, the helm? Yeah, we always collaborate um, mm-hmm. on everything, cool, cool, cool. and uh, and we actually have uh, another co-writer. Uh, this dude, his name is he, we call him Abe, but his name is Abiel Brune, and really talented mm-hmm. writer. He he wrote the first draft, and then we all kind of collaborated from there on out. And um, awesome. yeah, we're set to be directing. And I mean, I'll, I'll let Steve, you know, chime in on because I I love working with Steve. He may not feel that way. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm a little I'm a little bit more. I hate I'm working with Steve. More, it's but, awful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little bit more of a pain in the ass. Steve's easy to work with. I'm a little, I'm a little bit of a pain, but. <laughs> <laughs> so Steve, how, how was it for you that how, how is uh, uh, the whole directorial debut and how's that process been for both of you guys? I know shit has hit the fan with COVID and so yeah, on and so forth, yeah. but it's been pretty um, crazy. Process been? Yeah. It's been pretty, yeah. especially cause it's our first time doing it, you know? And like, um, you know, if you had asked, Matt and I, you know, a couple of years ago, even when Summer of 84 was getting off the ground, like if we wanted to direct, it was always like something we're like, yeah, maybe someday, you know, like it's kind of interesting, but we're focused on the writing of it, you know. And then during the production of Summer 84, when we were on the set, you know, this is not disparaging RKSS at all. They're great directors. But while we were just on the set, seeing how it all works and everything, we're like, you know, I think we could do this. I think we, you know, maybe we take a shot at doing this for our next one. And so so that kind of like got just planted the bug watching them do it and you know so when we we found the short story uh that the knocking is based on and decided Mm -hmm. to develop it out it was always with the mind of like let's try and attach ourselves as directors and see if anybody's interested you know and and luckily we we found some people that are interested and um yeah and so now it's just a learning curve for us but this whole pandemic it's just like (laughs) adding this extra level of like what is happening you know it's so surreal right now you know yeah but it's it's also interesting no, no worries. It's also interesting, though, because it's giving us more time to prep, right? Like we're shot listing right mm-hmm. now. Just about that so we've got we had more time to get cast. I think it enabled us to get a stronger cast than we would have been able to if we had to shoot April 13th. Um, yeah. You know, we're you know, shot listing is important. We you know, the, we're going to go into this thing so buttoned up. We're going to know every shot in the movie. You know, a typical movie has between like sixteen hundred and three thousand shots like the Marvel movies right. have just like thousands and um, you know, so it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of work, and you, you know, yeah. are we're going to be shooting. We aren't going to have a lot of days to shoot, so we got to go in there really buttoned up, knowing what we want to do and what we want to get. Um, mm-hmm. So by the time we shoot, we're going to be really tight with our DP, our first AD, our whole crew. We're going to know what we're doing, and we're going to get in there. And honestly, we wouldn't have been able to be as buttoned up if 
if we had to shoot April 13th. So hopefully yep. it's all just a silver lining. Um, yeah. But it's also kind of weird to hear how people are looking at how we might be shooting a movie because – like Steve, Steve, Steve sent me an email one morning. He was like, did you see this shit? And it was like, so, so I forget who it was. It was some studios like proposed way of shooting movies. And it was suggesting that like even love scenes, you would shoot them with, with actors in separate locations and then cut it together. And we were like, what? Like, how does that, how do you wait, even wait, make wait. that look? Like what? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Make <laughs> any sense. Yeah, and not like, even like how you huh. film it, but like imagine being the actor. Like here, you're gonna yeah, film a right. sex scene by yourself in front of the crew, and then we're <laughs> yeah. just gonna digitally stitch you together with your partner eventually. Like, yeah, how make weird. out, make out with That's this weird. tennis ball, and then we'll <laughs> yeah, gonna, exactly. Like digitally... here's, here's a pillow. Yeah, go nuts. Oh, like, <laughs> That's super duper interesting. Yeah. So. With that being said, like um, going down, I, I guess the the path of, of your guys's directorial um, experiences and so on and so forth. Um, were there any like uh, certain pieces of things that you would study? Like, I mean, I know for me personally, um, since I'm very amateur when it comes to screenplays and screenwriting and so on and so forth, that I would study Get Out because um, mm-hmm. uh, I know that is something that has taken Jordan Peele ten years to create and so on and so forth. And um, and to me, Get Out is fucking phenomenal but um then i would also think of like uh, alex garland's um uh ex machina and things like that where Mm -hmm. it comes uh to play and and are there any i guess uh certain screenplays or or uh directors that you guys would like kind of study a little bit during this time do you have any that i mean yeah, yeah. We, and it's okay if if, if the answer is no. no I mean, that's totally. <laughs> I mean, just to re- recontextualize how we're thinking about it, Steve. Yeah. Steve and I have talked about like number of movies when it comes to how we want to yeah, shoot yeah. our movies. So, yeah. like you know, even just when it comes to the cinematography, like we definitely don't want to shoot this like a cookie cutter kind of like cover. You know, wide shot, coverage shot, coverage shot, coverage shot. You're out. Like we we right. definitely want to shoot it with like a lot more thoughtfulness and, and, and care. And, you know, there's a lot of people who we find inspiring as directors, Yorgos Lanthimos, the way he shoots uh, is really inspiring, like killing of a sacred deer. Some of the way the color and how he shoots that movie is beautiful. St. Maude, which you just mentioned. I mean, obviously haven't seen the movie, but the trailer was just so beautifully shot. Um, You know, there's definitely a lot of influences like that. Um, I'm trying to think of who else we kind of talked about. Steve, who else were we like really kind of referenced? Oh, there was a movie called oh. uh, The Newness on Netflix. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The movie is good, but it's shot awesome. Like it's yeah. how, how you sort of how they sh- they help you fall in love with this couple over the course of like basically a one night stand at the beginning and the first act mm-hmm. and how they shoot the coverage shots of that couple was so, so dope. Like, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times directors just fall into like, here's a shot of her. Here's a shot of him. But when, when mm-hmm. they would do that, it would be like instead you wouldn't get a shot of him and her. You'd just be from across the bar. Just the cameras here. And it's just like across the room you see the two of them and people are walking in front of the camera and you can hear them or there would be another shot where like you're down the bar and you're and it's like depth of the depth of field is like is so you can see their face and everyone else is kind of a blur and it's just Mm -hmm. like you see it through like 10 feet away down the bar and just like things like that that are just really interesting um and uh you know just we just want to make it visually appealing and interesting instead of just doing the careful safe thing that's why we're being so um like thorough with shot listing so that when we go in we know what we need 
and we can get it because I think sometimes directors, I suspect, probably go in a little unprepared, especially newer ones, I would guess, uh, not realizing right. like, you know, if you're not careful, your day is gone and you didn't get the shots you need and you're not getting a day back and you're in trouble. Um, yeah. 100%. So, Steve, what other sh- what other movies were we talking about? Can you remember any of like the ones that were really influencing us? Um, I, Blue, I mean, I think- oh, Blue Ruin. Sorry. Before yep. I forget, Blue Ruin was yep. one of my biggest ones. I was like, what was the movie that Blue Ruin directed by this guy, Jeremy Saulnier? It was his, um, yeah. I think it was his first movie. And the way that it's shot is like, it's a revenge thriller. So the, I think the, the instinct would be to shoot it handheld, right? Like, like it's like, oh, it's crazy, whatever. But he shot, oh, sure. it, he shot it all very, like it's very carefully shot. And like can, every shot is considered and smooth. Like there's never any roughness with how it's shot. And and I, 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 I really love how that's, that feels. And I think Steve feels the same way where it's like, yep. you don't feel floaty. You feel te- attached. You feel tethered to the ground. Like you're in this guy's world in a really cool way. And yet it's not handheld. And I, I I'm such a big mm-hmm. fan of the cinematography in that movie. Yeah. Oh, that makes total sense. Oh man. Like that, that reminds me of, uh, of Jennifer Kent when she did the Nightingale. Oh yeah. Where mm-hmm. Her shots were just so pristine and so, um, tethered to the ground to where you had that even that beautiful scene of um, I'm blanking on their names. It's been a, been quite a bit of uh, since I've seen that movie, but um, on the woman and the Aborigine guy um, when they are both on the beach together and they just stare at each other, and it's that beautiful cut back and forth at this these beautiful heartbreaking close-ups of their face yeah um i'm so curious to see what she'll do past. next after that and babadook you know it's like what's seriously gonna be next? yeah but I, um, I'm super excited to see what's going to happen down the pipeline for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but real quick, Steve, what was the movie you were going to mention? I'm sorry I cut you off. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, like, um, you know, we've talked about Ari Aster a bunch, obviously. Like, you know, like scenes yeah. like in Hereditary where, like, the family comes in and they're they're having a conversation. And, like, normally you would, like, cut into the coverage shots. But, like, he doesn't. He just right. keeps the master shot going. And, like, like, he just makes really interesting choices. And so... But I was going to say, like, like yeah. exactly like Matt said, it's it's less about, for us, like, directors and more just, like, when we talk, it's more like this shot from this movie, this shot from that movie. You know, it's, it's just really, like, kind of, like, more on a technical shot level that we've been looking mm-hmm. at stuff. Yeah. Oh. yeah. I love it. That's awesome. So I'm, I'm, that's pretty cool that you guys are, like, kind of taking these notes from just pieces of certain films and things like that. I think that's really, really cool. Um, now last question that i do have for you guys actually two more questions um but first question that i do have for you guys um are you guys working on anything else either together or separately yeah and well it, we don't it could do be just a simple yes or no <laughs> yeah we <laughs> are yeah movie movie wise and tv wise we do everything together right now so that's kind of that's oh, our that's bag awesome. we can't work without each other you know it's a it's a nice little love story going on on the page you know so <laughs> love it <laughs> um yeah we have we have a couple other things going um can we talk about any of them yet matt do you feel like i think i think i think we could talk uh, on a high level about like angel of dust probably yeah, you know, uh, um, that was in that was in deadline uh, last year, yeah. I think <laughs> announced. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a horror movie, kind of a horror thriller that we uh, are attached to write and have written already um, based on an idea that came from Ghostface Killer from the Wu-Tang Clan. And hell yeah. Um, <laughs> so RZA is attached to direct it. The whole clan's going to do soundtrack and 
Riz is going to score oh, it. And shit. so we've been working on that one for a little while. So, um, yeah, I think at this point it's kind of like it's out there. We're trying to get some attachments to it. and But we're, we're really excited about the future of that one. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, man. Yeah, I can't wait to that, see a lot more of that. <laughs> the, pl- the plan for that one's definitely like a wide release movie, you know, if we have wide for releases sure. in the future. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah. I definitely hear you on that for sure. And then oh, that's um, awesome. The only other one that I think we can kind of touch on a little bit is we, we wrote a um, a TV pilot. And it's, uh, have you ever heard of Polybius? Yes. So it's a, it's based on the Polybius conspiracy. Um, for, Hell yeah. for for listeners who don't know, Polybius was a a sort of uh, a mythological sort of arcade cabinet that uh, is rumored yeah. to have existed in the Portland, Oregon area in 1981. And the, the the lore goes that the kids who played it the most became obsessed and started suffering from all these psychological issues like hallucinations, and depression, suicidal thoughts, and whatever. And and it was rumored to have been tied to a now declassified and real CIA program called MK Ultra, where uh, in a post-World War II uh, Cold War era, they were uh, collaborating with Nazi scientists. Again, this is this is declassified. They they gave asylum to yeah. Nazi scientists and worked with them and they were trying to figure out mind control, which is kind of where things like the Manchurian candidate came from. And like the idea mm-hmm. of like, can you control someone uh, and make them assassinate somebody or something or whatever. But so supposedly this Polybius yeah. arcade machine, um, the, the, aud- the auditory and visual things that you would see when you were playing, it would be affecting your mind and trying to control it. And so we were like, okay, what if that's the jumping off point for a series that that's the cold open to the series 1981 and then cut to the present day and our main character is like an avid VR gamer and whatever that thing was made the jump to VR and like what's going on now. So that's kind of it. It's like, it's like an older, darker version of stranger things. Like the kids are older, it's scarier. It's R rated. Everybody's like, it's much more adult themed. Mm -hmm, Um, And we're in the process of trying to package that and uh, hopefully uh, find a home for that, for that one as well. Yeah. Fuck, man. Just put it in my home. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're hoping it gets made. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And we, should, right, we should mention, too, I'm sure you noticed it, but in summer of 84, when we were filming it, we were kind mm-hmm. of developing this Polybius idea. And so Matt actually yes. had the idea to throw a Polybius cabinet in the background in the bowling alley scene. It's got an out of order sign on it. And uh, yeah, it's, so, on, it's on the left hand side, yeah. right, where, right when Eats is humping yeah. on Woody's leg. Yeah, I even mentioned that in the in the last episode. I was just like, there's a fucking Polybius cabinet right there. Yeah, yeah, that's man. awesome. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, that's rad. But um, um, but I think that's it in terms sure. of our projects. But but also sidebar, Steve is a super talented novelist, and he wrote a book called The Sabrael Confession. Uh, everybody mm-hmm. should check that out if you like reading uh, epic, yeah. amazing uh, fiction. Yep, it's on Amazon, Barnes Shit, and Noble. I, I yep. definitely am going to purchase that right after this conversation for sure. Awesome. Uh, have you guys uh, read Stephen King's not his latest book, If It Bleeds, but um, The Outsider, uh, the one. Uh, no, the Institute. The oh Institute. no, but I heard it's no. awesome. Mm-hmm. It is fantastic, but it initially is uh, Placebius, and oh, wow. it, it, it it's uh, with kids, and they get stuck inside this institute. And initially, it's if Stephen King were to write an X Men movie mm-hmm. uh-huh. <laughs> or an X Men novel or That's whatever, cool. and it is it is absolutely fantastic. And I mean. I, I think that that's also trying to be made. I think someone is is, is trying to uh, make that as well into a TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it it is very very well done, and I would I would highly suggest uh, reading the Institute, um, especially cool. uh, if you guys are fans of uh, the stories of the of Placebius and so on and so forth. But yeah, it's absolutely yeah, fantastic. Awesome. Um, one last question I do have for you guys, and I'm going to let you guys go for the evening. Um, why horror? Like, what what is it about this genre that just makes you guys want to write for it, fucking make movies about it, and <laughs> just even talk about it? Like, what is it about this genre? Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I know that's, I a, think, that's a hard question. Yeah, for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I said, like you know, for me, I didn't get get into it until a little later. You know, so it was kind of like the yeah, forbidden yeah. fruit for a while. But even right. so, there's that. But then, given that, I mean, it's just. I think when I watch horror or when I read horror novels, they just have a way of sticking with you like other genres don't. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. I'll be watching something like even if I'm watching a horror movie that's not really scaring me, it's like you turn it off, mm-hmm. you go to bed, you're laying down in bed and you're in the dark and uh, it's just in your brain, you know, and you're just feeling <laughs> creeped out, you know, and like no other yeah. genre really has that effect on me, you know. And so like just like wanted to get in on that and, you know, give those chills to other people and have fun doing it. Yeah. That's my reason awesome. for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think for me, it's very similar. It, it's, it's the. I think it's the genre that the most gets my mind and my imagination going because I just, yeah. I find it so intriguing. Um, yeah, it's just, it's kind of magical how it makes you feel. And I, I do have to say though, I'm not a fan of all horror. Like I, sure. you know, I grew up watching all kinds of horror, uh, sort of like when I wasn't supposed to be, but I never really like. I don't really watch a lot. Like I don't watch watch slashers now. Um, I will say that the caveat being that I like grounded stuff like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is just a great movie. It's a slasher, but it's also just it feels real. And I and I think one of the things that's really important for me with horror is that it's plausibly realistic that it could happen. Um, And that Mm. that doesn't always have to be the case. But those are the ones that affect me the most and that stay with me the most. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are the ones that we try to write, you know. Um, So, yeah. But, yeah, just love the genre, man. I love it. I love it. Yeah, man. And, and that even uh, reminds me of like the strangers and, and stuff like that. And probably not pray yeah. at night. Cause pray at night is a little bit more far fetched, but yep. um, yeah, the original with, one's great. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. Love it. And, and we're actually doing a, a home invasion month after this particular month that we're working on home invasion month is for July. Um, and the month that this will be released in will be June. But, um, this is our our uh, dead in the sun month, which is our summer horror month. Um, nice. But initially, we're going to be talking about like tourist trap and 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 so on and so forth. Which tourist trap is ridiculous, balls to the wall slasher flick. But um, yeah, I'm excited for it. Nice. <laughs> but uh, it's it's one of those it's one of those things where I, I love that you said that you really enjoy grounded horror because that's that's my type of of horror that i try to gravitate towards as much as i possibly can with uh i don't, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, the transfiguration yeah you guys heard of that yeah mm-hmm. yeah so that um that particular amazingly movie, well acted by those kids man it's seriously absolutely perfect and with that particular movie, like, it is such a very interesting movie of the concept of initially uh, a kid living in, in the hood of uh, New York. And on top of all of that, all the shit that's going on around him, he has a fascination with vampires. And then he realizes that, oh, shit, I do have depression and there is nothing for me to really truly live for anymore. But what the sole compass of I don't. I, I believe that vampires can't kill themselves based off of instinct. So 
him doing this artful act of creating his murder is something that I've n- never truly have seen done before. And I like, I love how grounded that felt and, and things like that. Cause watching that movie, you just feel like, okay, yeah, he like, he's asking for it. This kid's asking for a death wish. He's, he's, he's blaming these other, these, uh, mm-hmm. these gang members and all this other stuff. It's just like, yeah, you're, you're asking for it at this point. And then you also get obviously other movies like uh, uh, Let the Right One In and, and so on mm-hmm. and so forth that are yep. a, a bit more far fetched and, and uh, uh, paranormal. But with that being said, like the, just that grounded aspect, and that's I, I think that's why I love Summer of '84 so much is that one the jokes hit every single time, and on top of the jokes hitting, that was high school. Like even though it's based in 1984, like. That was high school for me back in 2005. Like, uh, like that, that was high, that is high school, and that's how it felt, and and, and it was fantastic. Um, and I was even telling uh, my co-host David because we're born in the 90s. I was born in 1990, and he was born in 91. And I asked him, I was like, the, like I don't understand what it is about 80s movies or or, or modern movies that are based in the 80s that we have such a gravitation to, mm-hmm. and. I, I don't I don't know if it's the fact that it's it's like in right now or what, but it's just something about that '80s flair that just really attracts us to it, and and I love it, and in especially this particular movie where it just fucking blew me away. It gave me vibes of, of after watching um, Olivia Wilde's movie um, uh, Booksmart. Um, it, it gave me vibes of Booksmart. Gave me vibes of a little bit of the Good Boys. It, it, it gave me vibes of of uh super bad and then it, then it switched gears to where it's like holy shit now i'm seeing the house of the devil involved and i'm seeing a little bit of texas chainsaw massacre i'm, I'm seeing scenes of the scene of uh, uh gosh uh, once upon a time in hollywood when uh he goes to um the little the ranch, oh, the ranch and, yeah oh yeah mm-hmm. and it's just like all of that was encompassed in this movie where it's just like this shit makes me want to watch so many things oh man <laughs> and, dude that's amazing it's I'm crazy a, we're gonna hire you to be our publicist dude because this is dope <laughs> I, I, feel so, I feel so good right now i'm gonna go write <laughs> <laughs> uh but no like in, in all honesty thank you guys so much for just creating something so wonderful and so beautiful that uh really has I guess us as a community in horror uh, have something to have fun with and have something to really gravitate towards and kind of have a connection to uh, because that's the thing with horror is that it, it, it feels like we're in it. Oh, can't hear me again. Uh, let's. Uh, how about now? Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. There Perfect. Go. Awesome. Um, but the main thing is that with horror, it, it just feels like, it's not something that will ever happen to us. And there's the little aspects because of the tropes of why we don't feel involved or we always Mm -hmm. say like, don't run in there or whatever. But with summer of 84, every single beat just felt like, no dude, I could see that happening. Like as a, as a 15 year old kid, like I could totally see that happening. Like I, I could see myself being a stubborn teenager and talking back to Mackie. Like yeah. me as an adult, I'm thinking, shit, don't do that. Like you, 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 you know he's the killer. Therefore, why are you antagonizing this guy? <laughs> but we're 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 teenagers, and yep. thinking in that mindset of a teenager, we're just like, 
oh, dude, I got hormones and shit. You know, fuck this guy. Like, he, like you know. Yep. <laughs> so yep. it's that same concept that worked so well to make it so believable and made us feel that we would also be in a situation similar to this. And I just applaud you guys for making something so incredible. And to me personally, it, it deserves much higher than a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. But that, that just, that is me personally. And I absolutely adore this movie. And anytime I can, I try to show it to as many people as possible. Cause, oh, man, we appreciate God, you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank <laughs> That's you. awesome. Absolutely. That's why we made Absolutely. it, honestly. So, so hopefully people would love, the, love this movie as much as we love the ones that we just watch on repeat, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So no, thank you guys so much. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys some time back. Uh, but before you go, I'm going to go ahead and end off this show. But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. And alongside me, I also had both of the writers for Summer of 84, Matt Leslie and Stephen J. Smith. Thank you guys so much. Once again, you guys were fantastic. Our efforts to get this show out is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Rating us with five stars is very helpful, but we would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it. You can further support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife, and that's night with a K. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show as early as Monday. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight.